Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. I lost, uh, I was supposed to speak at Intim in one session and then lost my voice. So I didn't know whether it was God or the devil. But how many know that God controls the devil? So I accepted it from the Lord. And, uh, but what agitated me is that when I went home, my wife, Reen, has a bird, a budgie, and it talks. So I had no voice, but the bird did. And the bird's saying, you know, when it get in the door, praise the Lord, Jesus loves you, naughty boy, naughty boy, Jesus loves you, naughty boy. And of course, we had a guy there on the other week there fixing up the fridge, and he had his head in the fridge, fixing up the thermostat, whatever it was, and the bird saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And after quite a while of this, the guy pulls his head out the fridge and says to me, you've got quite a religious bird there, haven't you? Now and then, Reen lets the bird out fly around in the place, and so it lands on my shoulder, so I'm teaching it to preach the gospel. <laughs> so I've been saying to the bird on my shoulder, you say, repent, be born again, or you're going to hell. Repent, be born again, or you're going to hell. So next time that guy comes to fix up the fridge, he's not just going to get Jesus loves you, praise the Lord. And it's not going to say to me, Jesus loves you, naughty boy, naughty boy. How did that bird get into the ark anyway? <laughs> Let's uh, take our Bibles this morning. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to read verses 1 through to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, as we pick up on our series on the church and spiritual warfare. And if you were not here last Sunday, or the previous Sundays, we'd like to encourage you to pick up the tapes in the series that we're sharing together. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, or the margin of the uh, King James says, our figures, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. A verse is always a challenging verse to us. We sit down to eat and drink here, communion, but what do we rise up to do? The people sat down to eat and drink, but they rose up to play. Verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. 
neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples and the Greek word for ensample here is literally tupos from which we get the word types. So all these things happen unto them for types and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world or the ends of the age are come. God bless that part of his word. Now I'd like you to turn over the book of Acts chapter 7 and just a couple of verses from Acts chapter 7. And uh, just verse 37 and verse 38. Acts chapter 7, verse 37 and uh, 38. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Everybody say church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness. Uh, which uh, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Now I haven't got too much time to review but uh, simply in our series together so far as the church and, and uh, spiritual warfare we've uh, looked at the church as being worshippers and then the church being as warriors and our point through those messages have been that uh, if we are weak in worship we will be weak in warfare if we are strong in worship we should be strong in warfare and that David was both a worshipper and a warrior but first of all David was a worshipper then a warrior and then we uh, took up the thought in one of our messages that we are called to be kings and priests unto God the king represents a warrior uh, warfare and the priest represents worship and the priest had both the uh, harp of praise and the incense of prayer uh, in their hands as they gathered round the throne of God on the Lamb. And then last Sunday we particularly took up the thought of the church in Ephesians and this is where I want to pick up here just very briefly here. And we saw last Sunday that the uh, epistle to the Ephesian church is what I believe the pinnacle of Paul's revelation, Pauline revelation, particularly as it concerns the church. And in chapter 1, as we saw together in our closing remarks last Sunday, we saw that Christ was preeminent in chapter 1 in relation to the church. And then in the following five chapters, we have five different pictures that the Apostle Paul gives us concerning the church. In chapter 2, we saw the church, and we just refer to it briefly because each of these are studies and sessions in themselves. The church is the temple of God. And Christ in relation to the temple is the chief cornerstone. And then we saw the church is the family of God. Another beautiful picture of the church. And Christ in relation to the family is the firstborn son. And then in chapter 4, we saw the church is the body of Christ, of which we are the members. And Christ in relation to the church is the body, is the head, the risen head. And then in chapter 5, we see the church is the bride of Christ. And of course, in relation to the church as the bride, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, he is the husband. And the picture that we're picking up, and all these things happen unto them, you notice all these things actually are Old Testament pictures. In the Old Testament, we have the picture of the temple. In the Old Testament, we have the picture of the family. And then Israel, the body, Ezekiel's uh, boneyard, the, the body coming together. We have Israel as the bride of Jehovah in the Old Testament. 
Now we're looking at the picture of Israel as the army of the Lord. So all these are Old Testament pictures and they're brought over uh, through the cross into the New Testament and are applied to Christ and the church. So in Ephesians chapter 6 we see the church is the army of the Lord and Christ is the captain. So we want to look at the uh, church as the army of the Lord this morning and the title of the message I want to share with you is Preparation for Warfare. Everybody say that title with me. Preparation for Warfare. Now I'd like you to turn over to several verses in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, and uh, both the King James, the Old King James and the New King James bring out the word that I'm uh, uh, playing on this morning in preparation for warfare, and uh, the church and Israel in the Old Testament as the army of the Lord, NIV uses the word divisions, think of the army and the various divisions of warfare, but uh, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 26. Exodus uh, 6 and 26. Now, just before I read the particular verse we're looking at here, let's just remind ourselves of what we've read in Ephesians, or in in, uh, Corinthians, pardon me, and in the book of Acts. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, he goes through a number of the historical experiences of the nation of Israel, and after listing them out, he says, all these things happened unto them for types, and examples or in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon the ends of the upon uh, upon whom the ends of the age are come. So when we look at these various pictures, Paul, as he does in the Corinthian epistle, goes back to a number of examples and says that these things happen to them for types. We must say, of course, first of all, that it was not a type to them. When Israel was passing through the Red Sea and Pharaoh was on their track, they didn't say, isn't this a wonderful type we're passing through? It was a real experience to them. When David was fighting Goliath, he didn't say, what a wonderful type this is, I'll see if I can spoil it. No, it was a real giant. When he fought the lion and the bear, it wasn't a type. He said, now this typical lion and this typical bear, I'm going to zap. No, they were real experiences to them. But God, through the uh, writers in the New Testament, goes back to the Old Testament numerous times and says that, says that all these things happen unto them for types and examples, but are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. So they were, it was a real experience of them, not a type to them, but it becomes a type and example to us. And then, of course, the verse that we read in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, Paul refers to Israel as the church in the wilderness. So as we look at Israel this morning and the verses we're going to read now is Israel as the nation was the Old Testament church same as we are the New Testament church and Israel as God's church was God's army also and so the New Testament church is also God's army. So listen to the several verses from the book of Exodus here. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 26 King James. These are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. Everybody say armies. Armies. All right, bring them out. Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. Israel, the armies of the Lord, the army of the Lord. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 4. Exodus 7 and verse 4. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies. Everybody say armies. 
Okay, so bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And let's go over to Exodus chapter 12 and verses 17 and verse 51. We have the same thought. So throughout these passages in the book of Exodus, God refers to the nation of Israel, which was to be the church in the wilderness. He refers to them as my armies, the army of the Lord. Uh, and and, and he, he is the captain of the Lord's host. So my armies. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 17. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations uh, by an ordinance forever. So I have brought forth your armies out of the land of Egypt. Verse 51 confirms the same thought. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. So in Exodus uh, 6, 26, 7, 4, 12, 17, verse 51, we have Israel in God's mind as the armies of the Lord. Now, I want uh, to pick up three things here as we look, first of all, at Israel the, as the army of the Lord and also preparation for warfare. First of all, we want to look at their condition. Number one... And then number two, we want to look at their redemption. And number three, we want to look at their emancipation. So number one, their condition. Number three, their redemption. Uh, number two, their redemption, pardon me. And then number three, their emancipation. Their condition, their redemption, their emancipation. Now, as we look at the nation of Israel here, particularly in the book of Exodus, and remember what we have used as our base here, all these things happen unto them for types and examples, and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. Now, as we look at the nation of Israel, we see it from sort of three, three, uh, three viewpoints here, we might say. First of all, from God's viewpoint, and then secondly, from uh, Pharaoh's viewpoint, and of course, uh, thirdly, from uh, Israel's viewpoint. Now, from God's viewpoint, uh, and how many of you know that God sees things just really opposite to us? God sees the end of the picture. And so from God's viewpoint, God says to Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron we might liken to uh, apostle and prophet, because an apostle is a sent one, and Moses is a sent one into Egypt, and uh, Aaron was his prophet. So Apostle and prophet, the foundation of the Old Testament church, foundational ministries, because the church in the New Testament is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So Moses would be like the apostle, the sent one with the name of God and signs and wonders. And then Aaron was his prophet, the mouthpiece of the voice of God there. So apostle and prophet. And so here these two ministries go down and they are going to be the foundation of the church in the wilderness. Now at the moment, uh, from their viewpoint, they are but a slave nation. But from God's viewpoint, he says, bring forth my armies. Now, they certainly looked a motley crew. As you look down, uh, and this is their condition, they were a slave nation. And for at least 215 years, a slave nation in Egypt, they had been making bricks out of straw. They were in a house in Egypt, and Egypt through the scriptures referred to as the house of bondage, and they were under cruel taskmasters, and you see all that, of course, in Exodus chapter 1, and they'd been suffering affliction and oppression under Pharaoh and the Egyptian taskmasters. So far as their viewpoint is concerned, we are just a slave nation, we're under oppression, we're under affliction, 
uh, under Pharaoh and his taskmasters, and we're just a downtrodden nation, hopeless, help, helpless-looking bunch. But God says to Moses and Aaron, bring forth my armies. Now, there's a great principle in the Word of God, and if you're taking down references, you might like to put this down. It's in Romans 4:17, and you needn't turn to it just because uh, of our uh, just uh, limited time here. But Romans 4:17, God counts things that are not as though they were. That is so encouraging to me when I look in the mirror. You look in the mirror each morning and sometimes you feel so helpless and hopeless and say, God, will I ever make it? Does anybody else feel that apart from me? Or is it just me? Hands up for all those who feel that way. All the rest of you have lying spirits. Why don't you tell the truth? How many feel that way sometimes? Yes, okay, the rest of you are telling the truth at last. So, you know, you look in the mirror and you feel, oh, I feel so helpless and hopeless. Well, just read the end of the book. God is not finished with us yet. He sees the finished product. And so it's a real good principle here. When God appeared to Abraham, he said, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, have his past tense. God didn't say, I will make you a father of many nations. Because looking at Abraham in his present state, he could have said to God, which he did, Lord, I'm old, I'm 99 years of age, or 90, whatever he was, 100. Sarah, my wife, is wrinkled up like an old prune. She's 90-something years of age. And I mean, if you look at us and consider our body, we look pretty dead. But God says, I have made you. And we haven't got any kidlets around, we've got this Ishmael. And he's raised the price of oil, or those Arabs have. Uh, but God says, I have. Because God counts those things that are not as though they were. So listen to it. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before God of whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So when God saved you, when he called you, he saw the finished product. He saw us saved, healed, water baptized, filled with the Spirit, glorified, petrified, horrified. He saw the whole thing. And so that's what keeps God going. And if that, that keeps God going, what should keep you going? Amen, because he says... Oh, that Kevin Connor. Boy, I'm glad I see what he is at the end of the road there. And uh, that's how God looks at you and I. Because when Pharaoh, you know, as I said, we're looking through Pharaoh's eyes and Israel's eyes and God's eyes. God said, bring forth my armies. And you look down on the nation of Israel like Waverly Christian Fellowship and think, what a motley crew. Like David's army. You know, in debt, in distress, and everything like the three Ds we call them. But they become the mighty men in David's army. So when God looks at us and we look in our eyes, we think, boy, we look a pretty hopeless lot. We're the army of the Lord. Salvation Army. General Connor. (laughs) But God sees the finished thing. So be encouraged every time you look in the mirror. Tell the mirror not to crack anymore. Okay. Be encouraged. 
So their condition, a slave nation, house of bondage, under cruel taskmasters, suffering, affliction, and oppression, under Pharaoh and Egyptians, the taskmasters. And yet God says, they're my armies. Bring forth my armies. So God saw them as his armies. Mighty potential. But Pharaoh didn't. And you know, when the world looks at the church, the world looks at the church, and they think we're a pretty motley crew, don't they? Hey? But they don't see the finished product. We're God's army. And we're in preparation for warfare. So cheer up, the worst is yet to come. I'm encouraging you this morning. And so it's just a picture of us in our condition that outside of Christ, we were slaves to sin. We're in bondage to Pharaoh, Satan, and principalities and powers and bondage to the whole world system. But now we look at their redemption. I want you to go over to Exodus chapter 6. And listen to this tremendous scripture. And uh, the redemption is the seven eye wills of God as a covenant God. And remember, this is all before they are coming out. God says they're my armies. Uh, they don't look like an army, Lord. They're just a, a slave nation. But God said they're my armies. Exodus chapter 6 speaks of their redemption. And if you haven't marked the seven eye wills here, I recommend you to do it. In verse 5, And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant, we had the new covenant table this morning, we're new covenant people, but on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and he begins the, and closes these seven I wills with the, uh, his signature, his name. I am Jehovah, I am the Lord, the redemptive name here. And then he gives seven I wills of redemption. So number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. How many are glad that God's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians? Everybody said amen. Number two, I will rid you out of their bondage. How many are glad you've been brought out of bondage? Or have you? Amen. Number three, I will redeem you. How many are glad you redeemed this morning? Redeemed you with a stretched out arm with great judgments. Number four, I will take you to me for a people. How many are glad that God's taken us to himself to be his people? Amen. The people of God. Number four, number five, I will be to you God. We're singing this morning. God is our God. Hallelujah. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number six, I will bring you into the land. God wants to bring us in the land, bring forth my armies. Uh, he brought us out to bring us in. I will bring you into the land which concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And number seven, I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. God has an inheritance for us. Everybody said amen. So their, their condition and their redemption, the seven I wills on the basis of covenant. Now, their emancipation. And we move to Exodus chapter 12, 13, and 14 on their emancipation. Let me read my statement here. Once the plagues of divine judgment on the gods of Egypt, Egypt have almost been completed, the Lord speaks through Moses and Aaron of Israel's emancipation or redemptive power in operation. And in Exodus chapter 12, 13 and 14, three things that we're very familiar with and we sang about it this morning. Exodus chapter 12, we have redemption through the blood of the Passover lamb. I'm under the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. So Exodus 12. And then in Exodus chapter 13 and 14, 
we have the Red Sea, the baptism by way of the Red Sea, the baptism of a nation. And then in Exodus 14, of course, we have the cloudy pillar. Now remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, it's interesting to study the Corinthian epistle in relation to the book of Exodus. In, uh, in Corinthians chapter 5, Paul takes up Exodus chapter 12 and says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, and let us keep the feast of unleavened bread. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul goes back to Exodus 12, takes that chapter and says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let's keep the feast of unleavened bread. So redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. How many are redeemed by the lamb this morning? Now remember what we're talking about here, preparation for warfare. God says, bring forth my armies, but he's preparing them for warfare now. So first of all, they have to be redeemed from bondage and burdens and from Pharaoh who represents Satan and the taskmasters representing the principalities and powers of this world. They have to be redeemed. But God says, they're my armies. So God sees what is not as though it were. He sees the finished product, but it's preparation. So the blood, cleansed by the blood, I'm glad for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Everybody said amen. So that's taken up in 1 Corinthians 5. When we get to 1 Corinthians 10, Paul takes up now Exodus chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. In fact, he takes up whole chapters. And says all these things happen under them for types and examples and are written for our admonition. So when Paul takes it up, how does he interpret it? He says, all these things happen under the, for, for types and examples are written for our admonition. And he says, uh, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant how all our fathers were under the cloud, Exodus 14, and all passed through the, uh, the sea, Exodus 13, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he goes way back to these chapters and says the whole nation was baptized. So first of all, the blood, then the Red Sea, the water baptism of a nation, and then the cloud of the Holy Spirit which was the lead and guide them to the promised land, and it represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the whole picture is here. God sees us and says, bring forth my armies, preparation. But we must be washed in the blood of the Lamb, water baptized, and then filled with the, the Holy Spirit. Can we say amen this morning? Now I want you to go over to Exodus chapter 13 for the next step here. Exodus 13. Now keep in mind what God has in mind because he says, bring forth my armies. Israel is my armies. Bring forth my armies. In the Lord's mind, he sees Israel's armies, but he's preparing them through the blood, through the water, and through the cloud. Now in Exodus chapter 13, listen to the language here. Verse 17 and 18. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let them not, led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Let me read that, uh, those verses from the uh, NIV. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine, Philistine country, 
though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. I want you to listen carefully here. There's two things we want to pick out these verses. Though in God's mind, God saw them as the armies. He said, bring forth my armies. And God sees the church as the armies of the Lord. We're talking about the church and spiritual warfare. And in God's mind, the church is the army of the Lord. The church is the temple. The church is the family. church is the body. The church is the bride. church is the army of the Lord. God sees that in his mind. But as far as we are concerned, the Lord has to prepare us. Now, the people are God's armies in God's mind, but they are not prepared for warfare. And what I've found over the years, and I believe there's a real lesson here because uh, individually, corporately, this often happens. God is bringing them forth. So first of all, they're redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. They're water baptized. And now the cloud of the Holy Spirit. But even though they've had those foundational experiences in order to become members uh, of the army of the Lord, they are still not ready for warfare. So what does God do? He leads them the long way round, even though he could have taken a shorter road and he could have just cut right across here, but he said, no, the people, though they're redeemed by blood and water and spirit, they're still not ready for warfare. And may I say it very kindly, saints, that, you know, we get new converts, new believers, or transplants from other bodies, and many times we are not ready for warfare. As was said in the week by our visiting preacher, Brother Joseph Garlington, if some of us saw a devil with a broken leg, we'd be scared to death. And I know we sing a lot of songs about principalities and powers and wicked spirits and, and the devil's after me and so forth. The, look, the devil is really too busy in Paris. And he's too busy in New York to even bother with us. He does send out some of his demons with broken legs and broken wings and that to harass us. But he's got bigger fish than us. Now what I'm saying here is this, that uh, we, we sing about these things so often, as you'll see at the end of my message this morning, is we are really not ready to handle these things because we've got to conquer some other things first. And so for Israel here, God said, no, even though I see them in my mind as armies, the finished product, they're not ready for war yet because if they see war, they'll be scared to death and they'll run back to the Methodist church. No, 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 no they'll, run. they'll run somewhere else, you know, scared to death. Oh, let me out of this place. Wave the Christian fellowship warfare, let me out. Uh, so God could have taken the short track. And, you know, I get impatient with God. The older you get, the more impatient you get. Has anybody else found that or just me? I say to God, God, give me patience. I want Now hurry up, God. I'm 65 years of age. All right for you, you've got all eternity to mess around. I haven't. Move it. Right. You know, and God could take us, you know, a short path, but we're not ready to handle things. So he takes us the long way around. Very long way around. Eh? Because not ready for war. Eh? All right, so now in the next part of the verse it says, God led them up harnessed. Um, just put down Joshua 1 14. 
How many are going to be glad when we get into our new building where I can preach for 50 minutes instead of 20 and 25? Amen? Thank you, thank you. I feel encouraged already. Uh, Joshua 1.14, I'll just make the statement here. Uh, We're told here that God brought them up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And this word harness is a very interesting word. It actually means organized for war, a campaign, and it's translated army and battle and company and soldiers and war and warfare. And different translations say harnessed, marshaled, martial array, armed for battle, uh, marched in readiness for battle, in battle array, fully armed, and they passed over armed in battle array. We have that whole thought in that uh, Hebrew word, though some of them are not sure. And here's the thought that some of them bring out, that uh, they came up in ranks, orderly ranks. There was a divine order here. Now, many times, you know, the Ten Commandments, which don't go by that, go by the Ten Commandments in the Bible, not the picture. Uh, you see Israel coming up as a very motley crew, straggly, all over the place, you know, and everything like that. But according to these scriptures here, God brought them up in ranks. Ranks of five or ranks of fifties, Young St. Corn says. So they marched as an army in, in battle array. That's the whole picture. There was divine order here. And so as God's leading them here. So there was definitely an order there that God was bringing them up for, uh, for warfare, as he's taking them the long way round. Now, I want to finish on this because our time's up. Israel had three enemies to face, the same as we have three enemies to face. And we have to face them in a particular order. So I'd like to encourage you to take this down because next Sunday and the following Sunday we have visiting ministries and I'm not going to be able to pick this up until uh, after that. But I want to put the thought where we're going on this whole area of warfare here. Okay, now let's look what's happening here. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. They've been water baptized. They're under the cloud of the Holy Spirit because the cloud is to lead and guide them to the promised land. Now, here's the three enemies they have to conquer. First of all, they have to conquer the enemy without Egypt. Second, they have to conquer the wilderness, the enemy within. And thirdly, they have to conquer Canaan, the enemy above us we've got here. In other words, the three enemies and the three stages of the war and the warfare that Israel was going to have to conquer was Egypt, the wilderness, and then Canaan. Now listen carefully here because the lessons are obvious. How many know that when they came out of Egypt, they were not ready to handle Canaan? That's why it says here, God said uh, he led them the long way round, not the shorter way, because if they saw war, they would return to Egypt. And see, they were not ready when they came out of Egypt to face Canaan. They were not ready. And what I'm saying here, if they had have landed straight to Canaan and saw all the giants, I mean, we had enough when they did get there, the giants, the Anakims, the Parasites, 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 the Parasites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and all the otherites, Pentecostalites, the Methodistites, the Californianites, whateverites. Uh, take that figuratively. They were not ready to handle it. Because you see, before they could conquer Canaan, 
They had to conquer the wilderness. And before they could conquer the wilderness, they had to conquer Egypt. And so here's our three enemies. Egypt represents the world. The wilderness represents the flesh. And Canaan represents the devil, principalities and powers. In other words, we have the enemy without, the enemy within, the enemy above, or the, en- the external enemy, the internal enemy, and the infernal enemy. So he brought us out of Egypt to bring us into Canaan, but he didn't bring us out of Egypt to go into the wilderness, but through the wilderness. They prolong their stay in the wilderness. Now what I'm saying here, saints, is this. We're going to get onto some very specific things. But you see, no use talking about constant conquering principalities and powers and winning the warfare there against Satan and warfare and principalities and powers and heavenly places and wicked spirits. We're not going to conquer there unless we first win the warfare in the flesh. And we're not going to win the warfare in the flesh unless we win the warfare over Egypt. And as we're going to pick up, one of the greatest tragedies, if not the tragedy, was that though they were washed in the blood and water baptized and had the cloud of the Holy Spirit, what are they ha- what's happening on here? Oh, couldn't we go back to Egypt? In their hearts, they're turning back to Egypt. And you know, this is the tragedy why a lot of Christians do not live a victorious life. They're up and down like Christian yo-yos as I used to be. Because though they've been washed in the blood of Jesus, water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, they have never conquered the world. And I'm going to talk about ten things where the world is squeezing the church into its mold. So why talk about warfare and sing about warfare and clap and dance and I love it all when say, okay, is the world squeezing you into its mold? Have you conquered that? What about the wilderness warfare? So the three areas of battle, three enemies that they had to conquer and we're using the picture. All these things happened unto them for types and examples are written out for our admonition. So though they were brought out of Egypt, yet in their hearts they're turning back to Egypt. And how many spirit-filled believers who've been washed in the blood, water baptized and filled with the Spirit are still turning back to the world and the world has that pull? Now you're talking about Canaan, principalities and powers when you haven't conquered this or conquered this. Go over to the last verse as we finish here and we'll pick this up. How many receive what I'm saying this morning? Listen to Jude. Jude verse 5. Jude just before the book of Revelation here. And what does Jude say? I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Saved, but destroyed. So I want to put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, and you've heard this preached before, some of this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Why? Because they never conquered this. Oh, I remember the leeks and the garlics and the cucumbers and the onions and the fish and everything that gives you 40 foot of indigestion and the burps. But they never remembered the taskmasters. They never remembered the whips. They never remembered that. 
But you see, they had to conquer this before they could conquer this. They had to conquer this before they could conquer this. And so in uh, the areas of warfare, our three major enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, why is it that so many churches are being overcome instead of overcome? Overcomers? Because of the very thing we're talking about this morning. I want to be an overcomer, don't you? So in our next session, after we have a couple of weeks of visiting ministries, I want to pick up ten things of how the world is squeezing the church into its mold and apply it to us here. Are we conquering the world or is the world conquering us? Let's all stand. Everybody said amen to the word this morning. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Our time's up. Don't forget that Brother John Steele will be ministering the word tonight. And uh, what time does the meeting start? It starts with? Some of you still say, say that, but you do not practice it. So I'd like to see you in the prayer room, 5.30. Everybody said amen. Let's bow in prayer then as our time's well up. Father, we just come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you once again for the privilege we have of being in your presence and the privilege of worshipping you, Lord, and gathering around your table and just uh, thanking you, Lord, not only for what you've done for us, but for who you are. Father, we just thank you for this time of being together. Thank you for the time in your word. And we pray, Father, that as we continue our series in spiritual warfare and the church being the army of the Lord, that what we've seeded this morning will fall upon the good ground of our heart. We believe, Lord, that the church is in a time of warfare. So many churches being overcome instead of being overcomers. So many churches being defeated by the devil because they've never conquered the, the warfare of the flesh. So many being conquered in the flesh because they've never won the warfare over the world. And uh, the whole world system and the world squeezing the church into its mold. Father, we are really burdened as we see the church becoming more like the world. And you can hardly tell the church and the world apart. Help us, Father, as we prepare for the things that we want to say in the days that lie ahead. May our hearts be sensitive and responsive and not reactive. God, in Jesus' name, seal your word to our hearts and let your blessing be upon us now as we separate until we gather tonight in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you tonight, 5.30 in the prayer room. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.